Welcome to the Financial Mentor Podcast, episode number 22 with Tess Vigland. In today's episode, we're going to explore what it's like to be without a job and career. In other words, the other side of financial independence. The surprising reality is the post-retirement experience isn't anything close to what most people expect, and that's putting it mildly. Most of us labor under the delusion that financial freedom will be something akin to an endless series of vacations, living the pro-leisure circuit, and loving every minute of it. But the truth is it doesn't work that way. Not even close. So what you'll get out of today's episode is an accurate model of what life looks like on the other side of the workaday world after you achieve financial freedom and what issues you should prepare for. By knowing what to expect, you won't be blindsided and can transition seamlessly into a happy and fulfilling next phase of life. All right, today's guest is Tess Viglin from TessViglin.com. Tess is a national award-winning journalist with a voice familiar to millions of American radio listeners. She was the anchor for Public Radio's Marketplace show for 11 years, from 2001 to 2012, and that included six years with the personal finance show Marketplace Money. She then walked away from her lifelong career and dream job without any clear sense of what she wanted to do next. The only thing she knew at the time was that her current work was no longer working for her. So she stepped into the void by going from Marketplace's Tess Vigland to just being Tess Vigland without any career definition associated with her name. And that was her trial by fire introduction into the world of post-career self-definition, the very thing every new entrant to the world of financial freedom will go through. It's a surprising world with rules that few people expect that can send you in an emotional maelstrom if you aren't prepared. And so the reason I wanted to get Tess on the show today is because she wrote the book Leap, and it's all about this experience. And in the process of writing the book, she interviewed many other leapers, as she calls them, and found patterns in the experience that everyone's going to go through. These patterns are consistent with my own experience transitioning into early retirement and the experience of many of my coaching clients since I brought through financial independence. So whether you're leaving your career because you achieve financial independence or you're leaving your career because it's time for a change, the fact is you'll face a predictable reality that you can and you should prepare for. And that's what we're going to explore in today's discussion. The way this fits into my teachings is this is what Step 7 of the 7 Steps to 7 Figure series of courses is all about. Step 7 is about how to live the free and fulfilling life that motivated you to achieve financial freedom in the first place. It answers the question, so now that I'm a millionaire, so what? How do I find the personal freedom and fulfillment that was my real driving motivation in the first place? And while we're on the subject of 7 Steps to the 7 Figures courses, I have a big announcement today. The first course in the 7 Step series is finally going live. I'm going to start the process with Step 3. And this course teaches you how to design your life so that the hundreds of daily actions and decisions you make every day literally creates your financial independence for you. I call it designing your wealth plan, but it's totally different from any wealth plan you would get from a financial advisor. What you'll get out of the Step 3 course is the most reliable path to achieving your financial goals with the least hassle possible. It includes conventional as well as unconventional models and shows you how to put it all together into one comprehensive life plan designed to take you to financial freedom. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, then head over to financialmentor.com slash three. That's the number three. So again, that's financialmatter.com followed by a forward slash and then the number three to learn more. So with that little promo out of the way, let's talk about Tess's book. The title is called Leap and it's all about leaping without a net. 
Tess researched and interviewed many people who took career leaps to prepare this book about post-career life and found some common experiences that everyone will run into and that you'll face when you hit financial freedom. The first big idea surrounds all the fear and risk and uncertainty of stepping outside their traditional workforce and that whole way of life. And the second key idea is the issue of how we define ourselves without a career. What will be your new definition of success post-career? Is it net worth now that the salary is gone? Is it your happiness and fulfillment? So at TESS today, we're bringing in the subject of career transition leaps because the experience and issues are identical to what you'll face when you exit your career on the transition of financial freedom. And throughout this interview, I'll be sharing my own story as TESS and I banter about these issues, about how I retired at age 35 nearly 20 years ago and totally fumbled with all these issues we're going to discuss today. The idea is to show you the ropes, give you the roadmap, so that you don't make the same mistakes TESS and I made. So with that introduction, welcome to the show, Tess. Hi, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this interview for quite some time. Um, I actually saw you at WDS when you did the now infamous WDS speech. You did? Yeah, yeah. I was sitting in the audience. Actually, listeners of the podcast will note that we had an earlier episode with Philip Taylor, who you're good friends with. Yes. Um, and we discussed your point about how there's only six topics in personal finance. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we mentioned you in that show as well. So listeners to the okay, podcast have run into you before. Great. So anyway, I think this is an amazing subject because it's totally different from what people expect. And I'm, I'm guessing you didn't expect the experience you went through when you took the leap. So why don't we start off by you sharing your story about how you took the leap and what you went through? Yeah, I certainly didn't see any of this coming, uh, that's for sure. Uh, I was in public radio for 20-plus years, 11 of those, as you mentioned, at a program called Marketplace, and six of those in personal finance, where I actually hosted a call-in show um, helping people with their finances. And 22 years into that career, in fall of 2012, I decided that it was time to go. I... You know, I had all kinds of reasons, uh, some of which I discussed publicly, some of which aren't. But suffice it to say, you do not leave your dream job if everything is hunky-dory at the office. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, I had been doing the same thing for a very long time. And I just started to feel very restless. I started to ask, you know, what else might be out there. But I looked around and, um, you know, I, I figured I had two options. One, I could step down a couple of rungs on the career ladder that I had been on because I was pretty much near the top. So the only place to go was, was down. Uh, and that's what a lot of people choose to do. I knew myself well enough that I knew that that wasn't going to make me happy. So the other option that a lot of people follow is to, you know, step onto an entirely new career ladder. You're probably going to start at or near the bottom of something like that, but I was willing to do that. But the problem was that because I had been in my dream job, I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what else I would want to do because I loved my job. And so I looked around and I just could not figure out what I wanted that next step to be. So I did the unthinkable and I stepped off the ladder. I had no idea what I was going to do next. So I, you know, I did what journalists do and I went, I went into freelancing for a little while. And then the speech that you just referenced, I gave that about eight months after I left Marketplace. And out of that, I got a book deal. So for the last two years, I worked on the book. And it's been, it's been a real journey. It's, it's, uh, the last three years looked nothing like what I ever expected them to. I fully expected to just get a job 
within six months of leaving mine. And that almost happened. And then it didn't. I almost got my second dream job. And then, as you know, I didn't. And so what it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll go into this, but it's taught me all kinds of life lessons, um, not least of which is that that old cliche, that that old adage about, you know, when a when a door closes, a window opens. Yeah, what is yeah. it? When a window closes, a door opens. That has happened to me over and over and over again. And what I've learned is that risk can really be worth it. It can really teach you a lot about yourself. And it can teach you a lot about the world around you and whether you want to have the same priorities that you've that you've had your whole life. So that was a that was a great intro to this whole discussion we're gonna to have today. You touched on a lot of topics I want to hit on. Why don't we start with the whole idea of leaving the career? I mean, that takes a lot of courage when that's your dream career. Obviously yeah. there were some challenges going on. How do you know it's time to go? I mean, a lot of people are going to be sitting out there listening and, and, you know, it's like they know it's time to go, but they don't really. So how do you know it's time to go? Right. Uh, yeah. You know, and my answer to this comes only with 2020 hindsight because I didn't even realize at the time, you know, during the year of 2012 that this was going to happen. Uh, I did not plan for it, which I do not encourage people to do. I, I will say as a caveat to this entire conversation do as I say, not as I did. (laughs) (laughs) I basically quit in a fit of pique. I quit in anger. And so it's not something that I had done a lot of thinking about. I was, you know, I didn't look around and say, oh, you know, this is happening and that's happening. So I need to leave. But what I've learned since leaving is that there were three signs for me that I really needed to pay attention to. Uh, One is what I say is it's time to go when you have too much self-respect to stay. Yeah, I love that one. I thought that was great. I saw that in the book. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people latch onto it because it's a way of saying if you are not getting what you need out of your career, if you are not being treated in a manner that you think you should be, if you are not getting the respect you deserve, if you are not getting the recognition you deserve, it's time to go. Life is far too short, and there's another cliche again, but life is far too short to be in a career that is not working for you. You should not just be working for it. It needs to be working for you. So if you have a sense of not being valued where you are, leave. You've got to leave. You've got to prepare yourself to leave. The second thing is your body will scream at you in some way, shape, or form. You will most likely be having physical manifestations of the psychological stress that you are under because you are in a job that is no longer good for you. For me, it was my my hair stopped growing. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, we, I'm sure, you know, we all lose hair every day, but it, but it grows back in a healthy person. It, it, it all grows back. You know, the hairs that you have on your head today are not the hairs that you had on there five years ago, but mine stopped growing. So all of a sudden I, I had this beautiful head of beautiful blonde hair and all of a sudden it was all scraggly and thin. And I was like, oh my God, where did my hair go? <laughs> And so that was what happened for me. And I didn't even recognize that as a sign of job stress until much later in the process. But there was nothing else that was going on with me. I mean, I, you know, I got checked out. For other people I talked to for the book, for example, there were people who were in perfect shape, but all of a sudden had terrible back spasms. 
So more more health problems, just yeah, different exactly. form. Yours yeah. was hair. Some people it's back spasms. Exactly, and that that's what I'm saying to pay attention to. You know, there are people who got migraines for the first time in their lives. And ultimately, they traced all of these physical manifestations back to the job. So the first one is don't stay in a job that isn't good for you, that isn't treating you well. Second one is pay attention to physical ailments that you may not recognize. And the third thing I say is if you are asking yourself how you will know when it's time to go, it's past time to go. Right. The very fact that you've got the question means that if you wouldn't be thinking about it. Exactly. So if you're asking yourself that question, that's the third sign that it is definitely time to start preparing yourself for this kind of transition. So like I said in the intro, I want to make this a bit of a banter between us. And so I'll chime in with some of the what my experience was in, at that point. So when I left the hedge fund business and became early retired at age 35, which again was 20 years ago, the thing that was for me was no more personal growth. I was absolutely fascinated with the investment business in the early going when I was trying to figure it all out. Once I got it down to a point, I realized I no longer had any growth, that I would spend the rest of my career just working for the money and yeah. not, whereas before I was working for the growth, it was who I was becoming. And I just, you know, I didn't want my tombstone to read. I was good at making my rich clients a little bit richer, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so I, I wasn't growing anymore. And so that ties into the other idea I was going to throw in here, which is when your career no longer honors your values. Oh, see, yeah. See, I didn't know it at the time. It's kind of like you're doing it 2020 hindsight. I'm doing it 2020 hindsight, too. I didn't know at the time. I was just tormented. I didn't realize I have a massive value on personal growth. And, and who I'm constantly becoming. I'm always trying to become the best version of Todd. Yeah. And when my career was no longer facilitating that, I felt the angst. And I started asking that question, is it time to go? Like, you're, like you pointed out. Yeah. No, I love that one. And, you know, I think, again, looking back, that was the, the lack of personal growth, I think, definitely was a factor for me. It wasn't one of the primary ones for me, I think, because, you know, I had gotten where I wanted to get. You know, it, yes, there there was a lack of challenge on a daily basis because I was doing the same thing all the time. But at the same time, I was in a career where even though I did technically the same thing every day, every day was different because I would talk to somebody new. I, there would be some new news development. There would, I mean, I'm a journalist, so that's that's why I love that job is because it is new every single day. But that said, there there wasn't a great challenge to it for me, and um, I can certainly relate to that idea that. You need something to challenge you, and you need to feel like you have a real purpose. Yeah, life's an adventure. You have to embrace it as an adventure. Yes. Otherwise, it's not worth living. Exactly. So so let's now that you've left, okay, let's talk about that initial euphoric experience you get right after you make the leap. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I gave three months notice, and I ended up having the busiest three months of my career in that three months. So I had told myself when I quit that I would have something lined up. I would figure it out in those three months. And then I didn't. So the day I left, which was November 16th of 2012, I didn't really, I did I hadn't had time to absorb the fact that I was about to be unemployed or, you know, self-employed. I called myself unemployed, but really I was basically going to business for myself, but that's not something I had ever done. So I hadn't really let myself get freaked out about it. And that continued for at least through the weekend. And I had a big party that weekend with all my friends. And they're all, oh, you're so brave. You're doing the thing everybody wants to do. And your whole future is ahead of you. And this is going to be awesome. And I said to myself, 
yeah, great. This is going to be awesome. Uh, Wait a minute. Wait, what? What am I doing? And by Monday morning, I started to kind of panic. So the euphoria lasted about two days for me. Now, the next week was Thanksgiving. So at least I had a little bit of distraction with family and, and that sort of thing. But my sense of impending doom came pretty quickly. <laughs> For some other people I talked to, their euphoria lasted several days to weeks, uh, particularly people who decided to travel right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, because I had not done really any thinking about this and I hadn't really taken the time to absorb what I had just done, it became very difficult for me psychologically very quickly. Psychologically and emotionally, it was all of a sudden devastating because of all kinds of things. I no longer had the identity that I had, as you mentioned up top. And, you know, I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come from. That was solved fairly quickly, but still, I'd never been unsalaried. And that was a (laughs) huge uh, adjustment for me. But really, mostly it was the psychological and emotional toll of no longer having that cool job and not, no longer having a traditional job. Yes. Yeah. So my, my experience parallels the archetype that you're sharing here, which is an initial euphoria followed by an, oh my gosh, moment. Like, what did yeah. I do moment? What so did I do? yeah, so mine was a little different, but again, it's following the archetype because mine, I did achieve financial freedom. And so what I did, uh, my wife and I got married and then we went off on a six-month honeymoon. And so the initial euphoria was I labored under the delusion about, you know, life was just this going to be this permanent vacation after retirement. <laughs> you know, that you take the ideal vacation of a week or two weeks and you just extend it for a lifetime and life is permanent right. euphoria, right? Right. Uh, stupid me. But anyway, that's that's <laughs> what I did. And that's so what everybody thinks, right? Yeah, yeah. So so we started off on a six month vacation. What else are you gonna do, right? So I mean because <laughs> that was our honeymoon and yep. about a month and a half into it, it started setting in that that was becoming our way of life and it was my first introduction to kind of the the feebleness of the human mind and the elusiveness of happiness and fulfillment, that it's a much deeper issue than most people realize. And we'll, we'll touch into this later in the conversation. So, you know, about a month and a half in, it starts becoming like a routine. It starts becoming a way of life. And then after the six-month trip, which was a wonderful trip, and I'm forever thankful for it. It is something I'd always wanted to do was just backpack, you know, live out of a backpack and just travel. <laughs> and and so we did that, and it was it was just wonderful. And then we came back, and I looked in the mirror, and I was still kind of the same guy. Yeah. Like nothing had changed. I was still me. And I still had the same emotional problems. I still had the same issues in life. And bam, now I get to sit down and face them. And I got no excuses. I got no nothing to blame it on. I can't blame it on the job or the boss or yep. you know anything. And it's, a, it, it's all me. And so the freedom actually has a responsibility that comes with it, which we'll touch on later. But what I want to do is I want to tie it in with this idea of why is it so tough? Like, you know, it, why isn't it that endless vacation? Right, right. No, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think it's because we have to find a balance in how we identify ourselves with our work yeah, and our work lives, right? So for me, what I've found out kind of since then, just in going through this mental and emotional process, is that I really identified all of my self-worth and my value with what I did for a living. Yes, as, as do most people. As, yeah, as do most people, you know, but I had it, I had it on super high because I had, you know, a a little bit of celebrity 
you know, within the small niche that is public radio. Right. But, you know, people know my voice when I get in an elevator with them. People know my name. And I had, I was a public figure. And so all of a sudden, not only did I not have my job, but I didn't have my identity, my public identity. Uh And so for me, it really was trying to figure out then who I was outside of what I did for a living and what made me valuable. Like, was I even cool anymore? Would anyone want to talk to me anymore? So I'm going to jump in just for a second. Hold that thought. I really want listeners to grab what you just said. That is such a key principle here about who are you when you no longer are attached to that career. It's a key idea to figure out before you make the leap. And again, Tessa's book is called The Leap, and it's for a reason. Before you make that leap to identify who you really are at the core will help you avoid a lot of the malaise we're talking about here. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. And it's not something that I ever did because I never thought that I would leave my career. Yeah, you're Radio Tess. Yeah, I was Radio Tess. Still am. But, you know, I I thought I was going to be one of those people, and I I always said this. I said, I will die at the microphone. That's how much I love my job. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find some sort of balance between loving what you do and being really good at it and appreciating yourself for that, but not at the same time becoming so wedded to the job and so completely connected to it that you don't see your own value outside of that. And, you know, as you said, that's a really, really important exercise to go through before you ever think about or need to leave the career that you've been in. You know, start thinking about it today. There's no reason not to start thinking about what other identity you might have, you know, whether, whether it's a hobby or whether it's a coach for your kids games or whether it's as a book reader or, you know, whatever it is, find that other value inside yourself aside from what you do for a living. Yeah. The coaching question I'll throw out is who are you without your career? Yes, exactly. And that's not something that we kind of allow ourselves to think about in this country because, particularly in America, we are associated with what we do. But one of the examples I give is that I started to loathe, I, I didn't want to go to parties anymore where I didn't know anybody because I knew that the first question out of their mouths was going to be, oh, so what do you do? Right. Right? I mean, when's the last time you went to a party and asked someone anything other than that? I don't do that now. I actively will ask some other question, but you know, I didn't have the cool answer anymore. So I literally didn't want to go to parties because I would have to say, you know, well, you know, I'm kind of figuring out what I want to do. (laughs) And people kind of look at you weird. I'm adrift. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm out of the ocean without oars. (laughs) I'm sort of redefining myself. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So let's look at, let's take a second here and look at all the things career does for us so people can really wrap their heads around what we're talking about here, right? Yep. And, and I want you to just chime in, interrupt. I'm just going to kind of go down a little laundry list of things that we can associate with career that maybe we're not really realizing, right? So one of them is community, right? Our career is our community. It's our, our social group, our peers. Yes. It gives us a sense of contribution, a meaning in society, right? Absolutely. Think about how many times you go out for drinks with people after work. Yeah. Sense of purpose. More than anything, I think. Unless you are that super person, like... Superwoman, Superman, who has a great job and spends a lot of time at that job and then for four hours a day also goes and works at the food pantry. Good for you. Good on you. You have another sense of purpose outside of your job. Most people don't have that. Yeah. A sense of identity about who you are. Yeah. Well, that's that's what we've just been talking about. I mean, yeah. it's 
we we identify ourselves with the work that we do, yeah. and I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, certainty about daily existence. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? You have a reason to get up. Yeah, yeah. You have a reason to take a shower in the morning. We're going to go into that more detail later in the interview here, but yeah, certainty about daily existence. It patterns your life. It makes life yeah. easy to live. Yes. You know, and for some people, like we talked about earlier, growth. Absolutely. If you're in a job that you enjoy and if you're in a job that is doing its job for you, then you are sensing a purpose and you are sensing some sense of enjoyment for yourself. And that's what we're all looking for. Yeah. But the question is, is that the only place you're getting it? Bingo. And so that goes back to that question that's wrapped this whole section, which is, so once you don't have those things from your work, how are you going to have them? You need them to be fulfilled and happy, right? So who are you without your career? And how do you bring those things into your life now that you no longer have a career? Those are questions that listeners really want to think about. Yes. And write them down and really start thinking about them. Because I think so many of us don't think about it until we don't have it. And that's when you have some of the, you know, the emotional flailing around that I certainly did. And there's no reason not to think about it, especially... Boy, in in today's economy, there is no such thing as a sure thing. There is no job that is guaranteed anymore. We all learned that in 2008, right? You can be the most incredible employee. You can be the most wonderful worker. But that doesn't mean that you won't get a pink slip. Yeah. And, And it's not that you want to live your life afraid of that. But if you go through this process of thinking about all these questions that you're asking, that I'm asking, that we're talking about today, you will be so much more prepared for if and when something does happen to you involuntarily. I mean, right now we're talking about the voluntary leap, but what if you're pushed, mm-hmm. right? You, if you have thought about all of these questions that we're talking about, you will be so far ahead of the game. Very good point. Very good point. And so, you know, one of the things you you chuckled at, that whole certainty about daily existence. So let's explore that a little more in detail here. So let's talk about the challenges of creating your own life from a blank canvas, you know, versus how easy it is to follow that predetermined life when your daily schedule is mapped out in a traditional career. Right. This was a struggle for me. And I think it's a struggle that's common to, for example, entrepreneurs. Yeah. People who start businesses in their homes. That's not something, well, I guess I kind of did that. I mean, as a freelancer, but it's not something that they're not necessarily skills that you will develop or acquire if you are a salaried worker or even like an hourly worker in a regular job. Those places, your hours are determined for you. Your benefits are determined for you. Your goals are Hopefully you have a a part in setting those goals, but when you do not have that structure, you have to come up with it yourself. Exactly. And that is really, it is way harder than I ever expected it to be because I'm a very ambitious person. I'm smart. I'm certainly dedicated to getting a job done, but I, I really had a steep learning curve of how to deal with everything from managing my time to managing my finances, now that it was completely irregular, to managing what I wanted to get out of what I was doing on a daily basis. When you have prescribed things that you're supposed to do, you may not want to do them, but at least you know you got to get it done. Yeah. And there's a step 
even tougher when you add financial freedom to the equation. This is really surprising. It surprised me. So not only do you have that blank canvas that you paint your life on, and it sounds, when I just said it that way, it sounds romantic and beautiful, but I really want the listener to think about you face your life and it's blank. There's no predetermined agenda. Like, you know, when you're in a career, everything's predetermined. You know, you, you, you work a certain schedule. You get a certain amount of vacation. You're going to be there until you retire, until you switch jobs. And then you're going to go on to the next job. And it's all mapped out. And it's so easy to just follow that predetermined path. Right. Now, just imagine your life is blank. <laughs> and you can do whatever you want. But you may not know what that is. Yeah. Right. And sitting in that uncertainty is the most uncomfortable place of all. And that's the key word, uncertainty. Oh, oh, the uncertainty is constant. Yeah. And it is really, it is psychologically and emotionally damaging while you're in it until you learn how to negotiate it, how to navigate it, which I have finally done. But yeah, we spend our lives with plans, right? Yeah. I've had a plan as, as long as I can remember. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I hit all my marks, and I checked off all the boxes that I was supposed to check off. And then when you don't have any of that ahead of you anymore, you feel, first of all, like you're a failure of some sort because you are not on that track anymore. You're not doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. You're not following the prescription for what your life is supposed to look like, what success is supposed to look like for you. And so that uncertainty of not knowing even from day to day, but certainly from even for on a yearly basis, you don't know what's going to happen within that year. That's, that's just scary. Now, I have learned to finally embrace that. I am loving it. And I don't have a plan beyond the next six months. And even that is the barest threat of a plan. But it really is a very uncomfortable feeling. And it's so interesting for me to listen to it from your perspective as someone who did plan financially. So you didn't even have the financial stuff to worry about. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with the financial freedom part is it's even a step harder because you have no excuses for any source of unhappiness. Oh, yeah. Like with you, you can blame it on now you've got to get the next job. You've got to do your freelance work. You've got to figure right. out your career. When you're right. financially independent, you don't have to even figure out any of that. Yeah. And so you have this like total self-responsibility for your happiness, for any issues you're facing, for anything you're confronting. It's totally yours. It's self-responsibility on, on you know, turbo boost. Right, right. And I'm sure that the reaction that some people will probably have and that I'm sure you've gotten is, oh, I'd like to have your problems. Right. I mean, there's such a lack of compassion in that kind of response because we're all human beings. Well, let's be honest. It is kind of a, a first world problem, right? I mean, it is. It is a first world problem. But what I think what you're getting to, and what a lot of us have to learn, and that quite frankly, studies show, is that all the money in the world does not bring you happiness, right? And it does not bring you the ability to manage your life. The key thing is we're all human, and yes. we have these human traits. What we're talking about is a common human experience. You went through a very different leap than I did. I went through a very different leap than you did and from the people you researched. And yet we have this common experience. It's a shared experience. And that's why it's so relevant to everybody listening. Exactly. So what I want to do now is go to a common mistake, which is the next step, right? And the common mistake is that people want to leap right back into yes. what they're good at. Yes. So go yes. ahead. 
No, I love this. And I'm so glad that you brought it up because one of the gentlemen I talked to uh, for my book, his name is Aaron McHugh, and he pointed out the absurdity of how we do it now, which is for the most part, people will leave a job on Friday and they'll start a new one on Monday. Yeah. That is bonkers. And the job is really close to what they were doing before because that's their career path. Yes. Yes, exactly. We never take the time to just sit back and say, okay, what is that next step? What do I want that to look like? Mm -hmm. And what do I want from my career? Do I have a longer list of positives than of negatives? And what are the things that are keeping me in this career path that I'm on? Is it money only? And if so, is that good enough? Maybe it is. Is it that I just love the job only? And is that good enough? Maybe it is. You have to think about those things for yourself. But the thing is, it's so much easier to stay on the track, yeah. right? I mean, if you're, if you're on the train, it's easier to just keep going straight than it is to pull the lever and go off in a different direction. And even when you think it's a different direction, most people will take the same direction unwittingly. So for example, you know, you took a different direction. You went freelancing, But you did all the same work. Oh, yeah. I still do. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, Todd, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that because you do develop a set of skills. You know, if you've been doing something for a very long time, like I did, like you did, you develop a certain set of skills. And it's not that you can't create new ones, although I will give you an example of someone who did do that. You'll recognize her, the baker from the book. But for me... I kept berating myself because I did quit and I didn't go on to do something entirely different, which would have been super exciting. Instead, I freelanced. I wrote a book, which I had never done, but it it was still basically reporting and writing and editing, which I've done my whole career. And my near future is going to be the same thing. It's not going to be here in this country, but it's going to be freelancing. Right. And part of that is because I love it and I don't really want to leave it. I have learned that over the last three years. So let me use that as a bridge for a concept because this isn't in your book, right? So I'm going to hit you kind of out of left field with this one, okay. which is this idea of it's the next step is in the adjacent other. Okay. Huh. Yeah. And, okay. So that hit you. Go ahead. And what did it mean to you when I said that? Yeah. What it meant for me was the example that I'll give for myself is that One thing I encourage people to do is to think about the things that you do, that you basically say that you do in your sleep at work, the things that you don't even think of as skills anymore because you've gotten so good at them, they're part of your DNA. And for me, this idea of the skill that is adjacent to what I did, it's public speaking. I did that for 20 years. I have no fear of a stage. I love a microphone. I know how to handle one. So I never thought of it as a skill. Well, it turned out that a year after I left my job, I started to get paid to do this because most people, it's the last thing they want to do. The last thing they want to do is get on a stage with a microphone. People are terrified of doing that. So all of a sudden I had jobs that I could do that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of as something that I could do for a living. The adjacent other. It's the adjacent other. And You take the things that you know and you figure out a way to translate them almost like a foreign language. And I want to connect it to another idea, which is embracing the adventure of life. 
In other words, when you go to the adjacent other, it becomes a new adventure. So for me, you know, I have this innate passion for financial freedom. I've always had it. I'm just a nutcase for it, right? That's a good thing to have. Yeah, so I, I lived it my own life, and now I teach it, right? So I went into the education field, which is what my site is. It educates on financial freedom. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And so that was my adjacent other. It's a whole different career learning how to share it with others as opposed to me just doing it for my rich clients. Yep. And that became my next stage of growth, if you will. And it sounds like you're starting to come into yours. I think I am. And it took a while. And this is what I really want to preach to people is that you need to make it possible for yourself to take some time to sit back and figure out what you want that new adventure to be, whether it is in the same orbit of what you did already or whether it's not. Like the woman in my book who was in corporate America forever just got completely sick of it and decided that she wanted to do something entirely different, didn't know what it was going to be, and saw an ad for an associate baker, didn't know how to bake, but basically walked in and said, I'm a great person, I'm a smart person, I can figure this out, take a chance on me, and I'm going to do really well for you. And she became a baker. I love that, but she took the time to really sit back and not panic about what that next thing was going to be. And what that requires specific to your show, is financial wherewithal. If you can make it so that you can take that time to sit back and really think about some of this stuff, that's when you can make a next jump that is good for you. That sort of goes us to the next problem, which is the plan and implement solution, right? What's the problem with planning and implementing? You can do that. But what I think that does is it keeps you, it keeps you in a loop. Yeah. And what I argue is that there's real value to stepping out of that loop, at least for a little while. And I think that's the case even if you love what you're doing. Take at least a few weeks, if not longer, to just sit down, take some time to figure out what it is that is making you happy and what is not, and whether something else might be better for you. We just never take that time. And we assume that our careers are supposed to have this linear upward path because that's what we're always told. You get good at something and you do that for the rest of your life. You don't have to do that. Who died and made that person king that said your career has to look like X, Y, or Z? Right. It doesn't. You have one trip around the sun and you don't have to make it look like everybody else's trip. You just don't. Yeah, my experience in coaching people on the leap, on the transition here, is that you can't figure it out ahead of time. People presume they can figure out ahead of time. You wouldn't have figured out that you were heading off on a whirlwind trip around the world into Asia, which is where you're headed. You wouldn't have figured out this public speaking as a viable business venue. I never would have guessed I'd go into financial education. What happens is once you take the leap, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept procession from our Buckminster Fuller, but the, the analogy he uses is if you drop a pebble into water, which way do the waves go out? Yeah. It's 90 degrees, right? They hit the boundaries of the thing holding the water, the shore, we'll call it, and then they bounce back. And that's what happens when you take the leap is you start taking steps forward, logical steps, reasonable steps, and then the waves go out as a result of those steps, and then feedback comes back. Yeah. And you start fumbling forward, and there's something about fumbling forward into that next step in sort of a halfway planned, halfway just adventurous form that you can't intellectualize. You just have to live it. Exactly. I love that image. And it's absolutely true. I think the thing that people don't want to do is the fumbling. 
Yeah, that takes me to a quote from your WDS speech. I love this quote, right? You're up on stage and you said, What's amazing about a leap of faith is how everyone around you is so sure it's going to work out when deep down you're sure it won't. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And you're so sure that you're going to fall on your face. Yeah, go go into the more. Explain it. Nobody wants to do that. You know, nobody wants to put themselves out there with the risk that they are going to fall down. Yeah. Nobody wants to fall down. And what I've learned is that falling down just means that you just got to get up. And there's another cliche. But it really is a matter of, first of all, <laughs> you got to stop caring what other people think. They are not living your life. And... Quite frankly, they're probably not paying as much attention to you (laughs) as you think they are. So you've got to let go of that preconceived notion of how things are supposed to go. And when you do, that's when the adventure starts happening. When you start saying, okay, I'm going to live a life that I want to live, that is not prescribed by norms, that is not handed to me by societal convention, that's when the adventure begins. And maybe you think you don't want adventure, but trust me, you do. Trust me, you do. And if you're not getting a few bumps and bruises along the path, then it's an indication you're not living an adventure. Well, yeah, then you're probably bored out of your mind. Yeah. And who wants to live like that? So that's a great segue to the next thing I want to explore a bit here, which is this idea of the thing that keeps people from stepping out and taking the leap is that fear of failing. Yep, absolutely. And... I think if I had put more thought into my own leap, I never would have done it. (laughs) There's no way I would have done it. Because, again, for me, it was, who leaves their dream job? There's got to be something wrong with you. There must be something psychologically or physically wrong with you, Tess, if you are leaving this job that so many people would covet. But just be clear for everyone, now that you're a couple years into the journey, would you even possibly consider going back and changing that decision? Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Yeah. See, I had the same thing. I had a lot of bumps and bruises on my journey, and yet never would I consider that I should have gone back, that it was yeah. totally the right path for all the pain and difficulties along the way because it's who I've become and it's taken me where I am. Exactly. The idea of having stayed in that career just sounds so stifling and paralyzing. Right. And I think, you know, one thing that that leads us to, again, is that people need to pay attention to their guts. I talk about this first thing in the book, that if you have an instinct that you feel like you need to quit, that you need to find another career, that you need to find another relationship, your instinct is a very powerful thing. And what we tend to do is stifle it. We tend to get afraid of change that we just tell ourselves to ignore what our bodies are telling us, what our instinct is telling us we need to do. And you need to pay attention to it because quite often, I think more often than not, it's telling you what you need to do. And what you find out is that you're going to figure it out. Humans are ingenious species and you figure out a way to, as Tim Gunn would say, make it work. You just do. And again, that's when the adventure starts. And one of the last topics I want to bring up is how people react to this. In other words, you know, we talked about how we experience everything, but one of the challenges is how our family and friends react to our adventure. And you made an interesting point in the book. You talked about how it's more a reflection of them than you, about how they're projecting their reality onto you. Do you want to explain that? Yeah. So I was really, really worried when I left that people were going to think that, again, there was something wrong with me. Or what I kept hearing was, oh, I can't wait to see what you do next. 
So there was this expectation that the next thing I did was going to be even more amazing. <laughs> I had this career. And so people would talk about how brave I was. And I would be like, yeah, I'm not brave at all. I'm stupid. And I really worried about what other people thought. Right. And now when I look back, I think they really did. They were very curious how it was going to work out. And for the most part, I didn't get a whole lot of, oh, you're making a huge mistake. What are you doing? I said that to myself. But for the most part, my family supported me. My friends supported me. And I was very fortunate in that fact. Some people in the book did not experience that. They had parents who were so worried because they were getting off a career track. Right. And what I mean by you learn that it's more about them than about you is that when you decide to go a different way than what everybody else is doing, people are going to look at you like you're nuts. And they're going to think that there's something wrong with you, potentially. That is most likely because they want to do it themselves but they're too afraid to. And so the easiest thing to do is to denigrate your decision. Again, I'm very fortunate that did not happen to me. But there are people who make a move like this, take a leap, and the people around them tell them that it's a huge mistake and that it's a mistake that they're never going to recover from. Right. What they're really saying is that's their fears. Exactly. And you may have those same fears, so it's understandable. But what you have to do is tune that out as much as you can. And just trust that you are making a decision that is best for you and you're not making that decision on behalf of anybody else, except, of course, your immediate family. The key thing I want listeners to really hear, because it's so hard if people aren't supporting you, right? Or you're getting this feedback that tells you you're making a mistake because it's such a hard decision to make to begin with. Right. You know, it's such an emotional process. And if people are giving you negative feedback, I just really want people to recognize that's about them. That's their issues. It's not yours. You have to go inside and you have to realize what's true for you and not be distracted by what's true for them and what they're saying to you. Yes. And not just them, but society is at large. Again, we all grow up with the conventions that we grow up with in this country. And this is Chris Gillibo's whole thing with the World Domination Summit where I spoke that you've been to, that you do not have to lead a conventional life. You're existing in a very conventional world, but you can find ways to be remarkable, to be different. And part of that is finding your tribe. Part of that is finding the other people who are doing the things that you want to do, or at least are doing it in a way that you want to conduct your life. For me, that speech, that event was life-changing because all of a sudden I was around 3,000 other people who also were doing it differently, or at least wanted to, who wanted to break out of the mold. And so all of a sudden I found my tribe and it was beautiful. And you will find your tribe. You will find those people who understand what you're trying to do. So in closing, what I want to do is I want to throw a little spin on that dreaded cocktail party question. So what do you do, right? So the spin (laughs) we're going to throw on it is, you know, here you've embraced this adventure of life. Here you've been through a couple years post-career transition. Where are you headed now? What are the next steps for you? Well, believe it or not, I am leaving this country and I don't know when I'm coming back. I leave for Southeast Asia and I do not have a return ticket. I have a one-way ticket. And this is partly because of a wanderlust that I've had my entire life. I've Mm -hmm. always wanted to travel. 
And it's partly because, again, I just want to force myself into doing something different. We talked earlier about being uncertain and getting comfortable with that uncertainty. I am thriving on it at this point in my life. And I'm 46 years old. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be in places where I have to figure things out and where things are completely foreign and new to me. I want an adventure. I've never had a true adventure. My whole life, I planned it out, except for the quitting my job part. (laughs) But the last three years, I didn't have a plan, but it all kind of fell into place. And, you know, I had a book to write for a couple of years and all that. And right now, I could go get a job. I think I could get one fairly easily. But I've really enjoyed getting to know myself. I've really enjoyed the process of figuring out what my priorities are and what I want from the rest of my life. Because who knows how long that's going to be. And so I want to pursue this dream that I've always had. I have now structured my life in a way that makes that happen. I've basically unchecked all those boxes that I talked about checking off. Yeah. And it's scary. I'm not going to pretend that it's all hunky-dory and easy, but I'm really excited. And I don't know what the future holds. And that's exactly the way I want it. Uh, it's beautiful. I, I love how you're just embracing the adventure. And the other thing that you said in there that's so cool is how you said, I want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I just think that's so cool because that's the essence of it. If you're really comfortable, then you aren't living the adventure. Right. And as hard as the last years have been because of the discomfort, because of the uncertainty, I came through that. And I'm a stronger person. And I think I'm a better person. I'm certainly a different person than I was three years ago. Yeah. At least I feel that. And I think my friends and family would say the same thing. Quite frankly, all of this has given me a confidence to do the things that I know I need to do in my life, at least at this point. And who knows? I mean, maybe I'll come back in a year and I'll get a regular job and I'll love it. I don't envision that happening. But if it does, that's great. That's just what's supposed to happen then. But for now, I'm calling myself Tess Untethered. (laughs) I want no strings. I want no plans. I want no real vision of what my future is going to look like. And I'm going to do that abroad. Awesome. And so for listeners that want to follow you, follow your adventure and reach out to you, how do they get hold of you? I am all over social media. Friend me on Facebook. I do have an author page that you could like, but I hardly ever go on it. So you can friend me on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, at Tess Viglund. Same with Instagram. I do have a website, TessUntethered.com. So feel free to write me there. I love having conversations with people. Awesome. Tess, thank you so much for coming to the show. I really enjoyed talking with you. Todd, it's been an absolute pleasure. Great questions, great conversation. And I really encourage everyone to... Figure out a way to make it so that you can take some of that time for yourself. It's really important. Thank you.